Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Fired Up, the political podcast show right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I host it each week, and I'm glad that you have decided to join us. We've got a uh, pretty good show ready for you this week, so let's strap in and get right into it. As always, let's begin with our update on where we are in the war against COVID-19 here in this country. Uh, We have 97.45 million cases that have been reported. Uh, 1,070,000 people have perished from the disease, and 633 million people have been vaccinated uh, against COVID-19. On the fight against MPOX, we have uh, 28,302 cases of that disease reported in the country so far. So we continue to see a leveling out of COVID cases uh, and deaths and hospitalizations in this country. But let me stress that we should not be lulled into a false sense of security with regard to COVID. We are coming into uh, not only the time of year when COVID uh, could get much worse, but we've also now have the flu season, uh, which is upon us. And uh, as I was listening to uh, some medical advice that was on the radio uh, Sunday, Uh, The flu season actually is coming upon us a little bit early, so we need to be extra aware, uh, get out and get our vaccinations in order, not just for COVID if you haven't gotten your COVID vaccinations or boosters, but also make sure that you uh, line up to get your flu shot for this year. Uh, They're expecting that the flu season is going to be particularly rough uh, this fall. So, you know, make sure that we continue to do uh, the important things we need to do to protect ourselves, our family, our community, and our country, and uh, take care of ourselves. Uh, You know, if you're going to be in a situation where, you know, your exposure to potential uh, diseases uh, might be a little bit elevated, definitely put that mask back on. uh, Exercise, you know, appropriate social distancing, all of the things that we have come to incorporate into our routines uh, in the you know era and post era of COVID-19. So let's make sure we do what we can to try and keep the trending on these diseases heading in the downward direction. All right, so it's now as of uh, the Monday when this podcast is published, uh, we are nine days away from the midterm elections here in the United States. And as to be expected, the, the rhetoric, the advertisements, the attack ads, uh, all of the accoutrements that go with a major political election here in this country are moving at full force and full speed. Uh, you can't go three steps without seeing, hearing, or reading about a political advertisement or uh, candidate, uh, particularly attack ads. Um, There are just numerous ads being uh, published and broadcast by third parties, political action committees, uh, you know, uh, Republican and Democratic national committees and so forth uh, in favor of one candidate in your area over another or whatever the uh, major issues in the election in your particular area happen to be. I happen to uh, reside in Pennsylvania, so we are just being inundated with our ads for uh, governor candidates, uh, Fetterman and Oz, uh, as well as uh, you know Susan Wild, uh, Senate candidate ads, and so forth. So you know we're in the thick of it. You know we knew that it was coming. We've talked about it before. So you know just make sure that. The important thing is that, number one, you are registered to vote, and you can go to any of the voter registration sites, vote.org, ballotpedia.org, etc., or search for voter registration in the search engine of choice, and make sure that you go and check the status of your registration. Uh, Do it today. Do it, you know, now, right after the show. And uh, let's make sure that we get everybody uh, registered, that we can get registered. 
And then, of course, the most important thing that will need to be done on the 8th uh, and before, if you've got early voting in your states, uh, we'll get to that in one quick second, um, that you get out and cast your ballot. Uh, the deadlines for uh, mail-in uh, registration, for the most part, have passed. Uh, some states still have same-day registration on the books, so you can go on election day and register and vote same day but the uh, ad advanced voting is underway in in many states in this country and if you have the opportunity get out you know get your vote in early make sure that it's there make sure you get it done uh, otherwise you know we'll see you on the 8th uh, at the polling place of your choice or your your uh, assignment and we'll get our votes done then but the key thing is to get out and vote. Uh, it is vitally critical, as we'll see a little bit later in the show. Uh, we're going to talk about a few things that uh, could be uh, coming down the pike, depending on the outcomes of the midterms. So let's make sure that we're getting out, that we're getting our votes in, that we're getting them cast, and uh, we're doing what we need to do what people have fought and died for us to be able to do. Uh, don't let anybody or anything uh, stand in your way of casting your vote. It's critically important. Uh, this midterm election uh, is probably uh, as important, if not more important, than any midterm we've had probably in the last 30 years. So make sure that you're exercising your franchise to vote. Get out there. Uh, get your vote in. And make sure that it counts. With that being said, and before we get into uh, some more information about voting and some other topics that I want to cover on today's program, um, this past week, the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, was attacked in his home in San Francisco uh, by a uh, fanatical uh, assailant uh, who broke into their house. Uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi's husband, Paul, was home by himself at the time. This was uh, in the evening, uh, and the individual broke into the house by breaking uh, windows on the back door with a hammer and then proceeded to go through the house, uh, grabbing Mr. Pelosi and you know holding him hostage all the while, uh, stating that he was waiting for Nancy to come home and you know going through the house going where's nancy and uh essentially uh what ensued was a struggle uh mr pelosi uh, and the assailant fought and uh ended up that uh he was struck in the head and in the arm i think on the right side uh, with the hammer and was injured he did manage to get off a call to 911 and get the police on the way uh, but, you know, he is presently in the hospital. He's undergoing surgery and reports coming out of the speaker's office are that he is uh, doing well and recovering from his injuries. So we we uh, send our best wishes to Speaker Pelosi and her husband, Paul, and, you know, just have to you know decry and, you know, condemn the atmosphere in this country over the last uh you know eight years six years ten years or so forth where such violence as part of uh reaction to political figures uh, has become so much the norm you know you can think back to um house rep Nan um Ga uh, gabby gifford who was uh shot uh, while attending a campaign rally in her home district. Uh, you know, uh, Senator Paul Scalise was one of several people who were shot at a uh, charity baseball game between Democratic and Republican House members. Uh, there's just been, you know, a, a spate of violent attacks on political officials and leaders and, uh, over the last few years that really points to you know, something um, wrong at the, at the root of our political system where the, the, uh, the ability 
the you know practice of disagreeing with people that you are opposed to with words or you know in you know in in printed words or media uh, has escalated to you know acts of physical violence uh, culminating and 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 probably uh, the the worst episode with what we saw on January sixth in the Capitol where you know insurrectionists actually breached the Capitol building in Washington D.C. and were roaming the halls looking for Nancy Pelosi. Uh, looking for uh, you know former now former Vice President Mike Pence, and you know literally saying that they were going to hang Mike Pence because he did not follow the instructions from uh, former President Trump in terms of exercising a perceived authority that he did not in fact have under law and under the Constitution to invalidate the 2020 election. Um, you know, we have just come to a place where not just, you know, disagreeing, as I said, you know, verbally with someone, but actually escalating it to physical violence and uh, threat levels uh, against our elected officials, both uh, federal and also, you know, state and in some cases local uh, people have gotten to the point where it's no longer enough just to say I disagree with you. Now it seems that the mechanism is to say, I disagree with you and I'm going to attack you, uh, uh, injure you or kill you to prove just how much I disagree with you. Uh, I, I, we have to, and, and there's been calls for this from, from many different quarters in the political and you know, even you know, all corners of American society saying that we have to find a way to stop this, to, to uh, let people know that violence is not uh, a, pol- a form of political discourse that is either you know, acceptable or will be tolerated in this country. Uh, you know, as I said, we had you know, hundreds, uh, if not thousands of people that stormed the Capitol, uh, bu- breached the Capitol building, and were roaming through the halls on the very day that the House and Senate were in session to certify the 2020 election, uh, looking for the elected officials uh, ostensibly to do them serious or grievous bodily harm, uh, all because uh, that a, a fictitious notion that the 2020 election was stolen uh, and there's been you know, more than ample proof in more than 60 lawsuits that have been brought by uh, the former president, uh, which have been either thrown out of course, uh, thrown out of the court uh, for on the merits, thrown out of the court because there was no standing to bring the suit or for whatever reason, but there's been no evidence presented of widespread massive uh, fraud in the election process that would have changed the outcome of the 2020 election. Uh, that fact is fairly well established, uh, and it seems that the only uh, individuals that don't accept that uh, are the former president and his, uh, you know, MAGA followers who still, you know, profess uh, their belief in the big lie. So, you know, as I said, the the latest event in that chain of of events of denial is this attack on the husband of the Speaker of the House. Uh, there is, you know, investigations are ongoing, questions are being asked, and, you know, it, it will maybe uh, lead to, you know, some form of protection offered for, you know, the, the spouses and partners of these high-ranking uh, government uh, leaders. So we'll keep posted on, you know, not only his condition, but what comes from the, the attack, uh, the individual who committed uh, the assault uh, will be uh, arraigned in court uh, on Monday, and uh, we will see what happens and we'll keep you posted. So, you know, this just points to uh, some serious need for some type of reconciliation uh, between you know the parties and between the the partisans on both sides, uh, 
to come together and agree that there are certain levels of response or certain levels of activities that we collectively just cannot tolerate and will not stand and will not allow. Uh, this goes beyond Republican, beyond Democrat. Uh, this is just, you know, it is a human issue uh, and just something that we, we have to take a firm stand and, and just stop. So, as I said at the outset, um, we are nine days out from the midterm elections. Uh, voting is already underway with early uh, voting going on in many states. And uh, there was an article that came across my radar from CNN that uh, talks about more than you know, 20.7 million pre-election ballots uh, having been cast in 46 states as of Sunday. Uh, and this is according to data from election officials. Um, the, the sources are Edison Research and Catalyst, which are two well-respected and well-known uh, election uh, analysts. Um, so, you know, 20 million uh, ballots have already been cast, uh, and we are here nine days out, uh, which is a record. It is a higher number than were cast in the last midterm election, and also, um, you know, uh, set records in several states. According to the article, three states have already crossed the two million ballot threshold. Uh, more than 2.8 million ballots have been cast in Texas, while more than 2.6 million have been cast in Florida, and more than 2.1 million uh, ballots have been cast in California. Uh, Florida counties required to start early uh, in-person voting by Saturday. So early in-person voting is already underway in Florida. Uh, more than 1.6 million ballots have been cast in Georgia, and North Carolina has become the fifth state with more than 1 million ballots cast. So one, one of the things the article talks about um, is, you know, in Georgia... Georgia being home to several competitive statewide races this year, uh, including the governor's race where uh, the rematch between uh, Governor Brian Kemp and uh, Democrat Stacey Abrams, uh, and for the Senate where Republican Herschel Walker uh, is challenging Democratic Senator uh, Raphael Warnock in you know a, a contest that could be part of the deciding factor of control of the Senate chamber uh, in, in the coming year. Uh, it, the article talks about uh, that uh, Kemp and Abrams will hold a final gubernatorial debate, uh, or held actually at the time of, of this reporting that debate was going on, so it will uh, be in the record books by the time this podcast makes it to air. Uh, so they held a debate uh, last evening on Sunday uh, in North Carolina. Election for the state's open Senate seat features a high-profile contest between Democrat Sherry Beasley, uh, who would become the state's first black senator if elected, and GOP Representative Ted Budd, who has the support of former President Donald Trump. Uh, so, according to the article from CNN, uh, in, in an interview with uh, CNN's Dana Bash on State of the Union on Sunday, uh, her state needed a senator who's going to fight hard to lower costs, but avoided a question over whether she was satisfied with how President Joe Biden and National Democrats have handled inflation. She also vowed to fight for abortion rights, which she called a real big issue in her campaign. Uh, you know, in, in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is favored to win a second term amid talk of a potential 2024 presidential bid, and Florida Senator Marco Rubio uh, is in a hotly contested uh, uh, showdown with Democrat Rep. Val Demings for the Senate seat in uh, Florida. So a, a lot going on. Uh, that's just, you know, the tip of the iceberg there are, you know, key races happening all over the country. Uh, you know, here, as I said, here in, in, our, in my home state of Pennsylvania, 
you've got the the big battle with national implications between uh, John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz, uh, and you know that has created a lot of uh, controversy and a lot of headlines uh, since uh, Fetterman had a you know a stroke a uh, few months back, uh, and you know it has been reported that he had a questionable. Uh, performance in you know the debate with uh, Mehmet Oz uh, and and so forth. So you know it, it is it is just a a hodgepodge, a mix of strange and stranger political news and events going on across the country, uh, even down into local races uh, that just seems to be driving uh, the divide in our country. Uh, further apart rather than closer together. So, you know, it, in, we need to, to find uh, mechanisms where we can have political discourse, where we can have, you know, the, the discussions we need and, and bring the issues out uh, that are, are of concern to the citizens. Issues like inflation, issues like, uh, you know, abortion rights and, you know, women's health. Uh, issues like education. There's, you know, several heated battles going on in, in some states uh, over the the status of teaching, you know, critical race theory in our schools. Uh, and you know, the the thing that I have noticed, and and let me let me step outside the articles for a second. Um, the thing that I have noticed in particularly with the discussion on critical race theory or CRT is the the right is presenting this as if it is an ongoing element of elementary school education uh, in its entirety uh, right now and in this country that is simply not true uh, there are you know a handful of uh, school districts in this country at the elementary, and high school level that are teaching anything about critical race theory. Um, it, it has been latched onto by the right as a, a major talking point, even though, as I said, it is you know essentially non-existent in the elementary and middle school levels. CRT is a college level uh, course. Uh, it is taught at the college level uh, and yet the right is using that as a wedge issue, uh, pulling out you know examples of things that you know they see that they call CRT. I was listening to a um, talk show uh, while I was driving the the other day, and they talked about how in one case there was you know a a huge debate and discussion about uh, a math book that was pulled as an example of critical race theory because in the book one of the math lessons had a picture of a white child and a black child in, involved in the math problem. You know, probably you know, one of those Jimmy has two apples and Johnny has four apples kind of thing. And that was cited as an example of critical race theory, simply because it was presenting uh, a, a black child uh, in a light that the uh, anti-CRT people found offensive. Uh, we have gotten so hypersensitive that, you know, simple pictures illustrating a math problem that have no political messaging attached to them or, you know, no uh, social bearing, you know, assigned to it other than the fact that Jimmy has two apples and Johnny has four apples uh, has become a, a, a large political issue in a state in the United States in 2022. We've gotten, you know, way too hypersensitive to these kinds of things. And you know, one of the things, and, and we've, we brought it out on this show many times, is how uh, people, particularly but not exclusively, uh, people on the right, uh, can look at 
a a a something you know i've used the example of you know putting an orange on the table and someone on the left will say that that's an orange while someone on the right will say that that's a volkswagen and will believe that to the the disbelief of their own eyes uh, how have we gotten to this point that is one of the questions that we're going to have to resolve as a country we are going to have to uh, reinstitute an acceptance of facts not hypothesis not hyperbole not theory uh, not speculation and not and definitely not conspiracy uh, as you know a, a guiding principle in what we do in this country whether it's teaching our students whether it's you know looking at the the health choices that face you know uh, 51 percent of our population you know females you know this this argument about uh, banning abortion that the republicans are promising that will be you know one of the top topics that they are going to bring forward should they gain control of you know the the house and the senate after these midterms and you know the idea that there would be no abortions allowed even in cases of rape incest or health of the mother well again i was listening to another uh discussion uh while on the road and the point was raised that there are some cases uh such as you know an a, a topic or ectopic pregnancy or tubal pregnancy that are life-threatening to the mother and if it, it it is against the law or if people are going to come and arrest the people who perform uh, these necessary medical services and arrest them for uh, charges up to and including murder uh, they're basically saying you know we are going to let people die in order for you know this this rule that we want to have to be in place that's not who we are in this country you know while you can have the argument that you know uh, you know aborting a a pregnancy uh, you know at a certain time under certain circumstances uh, can be uh, performed if you're going to pit a, a the life of a mother against the life of an unborn or you know unviable child as equals uh, there's a problem there there's there's a fundamental uh, disconnect that we need to address you know it, it is one thing to you know to say we're not going to allow you to you know abort a pregnancy beyond a certain deadline and you know that's kind of where the arguments are rolling around right now uh, but to just say in you know in no circumstances and it's one of the things that you know a uh, candidate here in Pennsylvania yeah, Mastriano is is getting just huge heat is that there are no exceptions that you know they are willing to let uh, women die uh, that shouldn't die or would need not die uh, for what is you know a a simple medical procedure that would remove you know a a threat to their life from their body so, you know, as I said, we have to find a way as a country to get back to a place where we can agree to disagree. We can have, you know, uh, 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 you know strong disagreement discussions. We can, you know, argue vehemently uh, for positions on one side or the other uh, and, and not have so many just pure absolutes. So, you know, I, I think... You know, it, it's kind of as, and I believe it was uh, President H.W. Uh, Bush, Bush 41, who said, you know, he talked about uh, you can be a conservative, you know, to be a compassionate conservative. Maybe it was W. that said it, um, you know, but we've got to find a better way. So uh, we'll take our break here. Uh, we'll come back on the other side of our message and uh, pick up some other subjects that relate to the upcoming midterm elections and some other things going on 
politically in this country. You're listening to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after the message. This is Morgan Freeman. I know that many of you are wondering how soon you'll be able to hug your friends again or visit your parents and grandparents without fear. I know that many of you are angered by the ongoing racism in our nation and worried about having a job to repay your student loans and afford the basic needs of life. It wasn't long ago that people were beaten and even killed to obtain the sacred power each of you have today, the power to vote. And right now, your vote is more critical than ever. This election is about you and me, your family, and my family, our planet, and our democracy in its entirety. With our votes, we the people can begin to overwhelm the unjust political and economic systems that favor profits over people and elect leaders who will take us forward. Brothers and sisters, go vote. Our lives quite literally depend on it. And we're back. Thank you for that public service message from your friends here at Fired Up Podcast and WJMS Media. Uh, can't say it enough, folks. Get out and vote. All right, let's get back into uh, what we've been talking about here. So if, if you've listened to this show or if you've gone through some of the episodes in our archive over on you know SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other sources, um, you will note that on several occasions... I have talked about the subject of tactics versus strategy. Uh, it, for those who uh, don't know or, or aren't familiar, um, tactics essentially is a plan to do, I'm sorry, strategy is a plan to do a thing. Let me make sure I bring it correctly. And tactics are the actions taken to put that plan uh, into motion. So, you know, the, the Republican conservative side of the political world here in the U.S. has uh, long been uh, exercising a strategy of control of the state-level electoral process uh, to it uh, gaining Republican control of state legislatures, Republican uh, governorships, uh, and so forth, as well as you know, working to secure as many uh, Republican U.S. House of Representatives seats and uh, U.S. Senate seats as possible. Uh, it has led to the situation where you know a a segment of the population that is uh, Republicans has an oversized control of the legislative process in this country. Uh, with the House of Representatives and the Senate uh, simply based on the fact that they have used various tactics uh, such as you know gerrymandering in, in particular but you know various methods of voter disenfranchisement to limit or restrict the opposition to Republican winning in the in the states so you know that, is you know part of a, a very small part of what the Republican strategy has been uh, going back to uh, the 1970s. So you know we're talking you know 50 years, 50 plus years uh, of strategy. And what we are seeing in our political uh, discourse today is a result of the progress, that Republicans have made over that uh, five decade plus uh, effort and the ongoing um, uh, efforts that are being made to solidify that control. And, you know, if, if you've been listening to anything regarding the midterms, you know, the biggest uh, question of debate is who is going to co control the House and the Senate? Uh, and, you know, the various uh, mainstream media and, and other uh, pundits and talking heads have been saying, you know, that uh, 
the Republicans are likely to take control of the House, although it is not 100% guaranteed and a lock. Um, but, you know, there is a strong possibility as well that they could take a slim majority, but a majority nonetheless, in the Senate. And should those things happen, uh, the kind of things that I was talking about in the first segment uh, would become commonplace with many different uh, issues that we face. Uh, you can line up uh, uh, voter registration. Um, you can line up school choice. You can line up, um, you know, uh, LGBTQ rights, uh, you know, same-sex marriage. There is a whole litany of things, and, and we did a couple of episodes on that when we talked about the efforts underway to constitute a second constitutional convention to basically uh, greatly edit or rewrite the United States Constitution. All right, put that aside for a second. So we've talked about strategy. The strategy that has been exercised by the Republicans is one of uh, command and control. The tactics that are being exercised by uh, Republicans and in particular the ultra-conservative wing of the Republican Party uh, are you know, much more um, in, 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 incisive, much more... Uh, devious, I guess is the word I'd, I'd have to put it. Uh, let me give you an example of how these tactics play out. And I'm going to use, uh, again, staying in my home state of Pennsylvania. Uh, and this is based on an article that came out of Huffington Post uh, on the 28th. Uh, it was written by Jessica Schulberg. And it, it talks about the relatively innocuous thing of, you know, bicycle lanes on city streets. Uh, if you've been in New York City or, you know, any major city in this, in this country, you note that there are segregated lanes of travel for bicycles, usually, uh, you know, divided with some type of vehicle curbing, um, you know, but a, a lane where bicycles can travel back and forth and be relatively free from accidents and injuries. Well, you know, here in Pennsylvania, uh, bike safety advocates, and again, this comes from the Huffington Post, uh, have spent the past five years trying to convince lawmakers to change an outdated law to allow for safer bike lanes on state roads. This year, it seemed like they might finally prevail. Uh, as the article states, a bill to amend the state's vehicle code passed unanim unanimously out of the state house headed to the state senate but instead of putting it up for a vote there republican lawmakers tied the previously uncontroversial bike lane bill to a completely unrelated gop policy goal and that is undermining philadelphia district attorney larry krasner uh, republican lawmakers as the article states have worked to undermine krasner since he was first elected in 2017 on a promise to reduce incarceration and dramatically reform the criminal justice system. This week, the GOP's years-long sabotage campaign reached a dramatic milestone when House Republicans filed articles of impeachment against Krasner, blaming the progressive prosecutor for an increase in crime in Philadelphia. And this is a trend that has been occurring across the state and country. Uh, this is kind of like what they did to uh, Raffensperger down in Georgia and, and some other, other places. Um, although Republicans control both chambers of the state legislature, they are unlikely to actually remove Krasner from office, which would require support from two-thirds of the Senate. Instead, they have tried to push a series of laws containing sneaky provisions that would strip Krasner of his ability to decide how and whether to prosecute certain crimes. Uh, this was also done in Texas, where restrictions were put on the uh, district attorney. Um, this is where the bike lane bill comes in, according to the article. 
Pennsylvania's vehicle code currently requires cars to park with their tires within 12 inches of a curb. This prevents installation of parking protected bike lanes, which sit between a curb and a parking lane, shielding bicyclists from uh, moving traffic. Even the small number of parking protected bike lanes that exist as part of a pilot program have been linked to increased ridership and a decrease in crashes and fatalities, according to a recent study. The way it works is a cyclist rides down a protected, a parking protected bike lane, uh, for example, um, in Denver on December 3rd, 2015. Because of Republican state lawmakers, Pennsylvania cyclists most likely will not get their parking protected bike lanes, a common sense measure that would potentially save lives. Uh, a legislative fix to Pennsylvania's vehicle code was introduced in 2017, but faced persistent resistance from State Senator John Sabatina, uh, who represented Northeast Philadelphia. Um, last year, Sabatina resigned from the State Senate after being elected to the Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas, clearing the way for the bike lane bill to pass. After pa passing unanimously in the State House last year, the bill moved to the Senate. In June, State Senator Wayne Langerholk, uh, who is a Republican, who chairs the State Senate Transportation Committee and represents a district that's located four hours outside of Philadelphia, quietly introduced an amendment just before the bike lane bill was scheduled for a committee vote. The amendment tasked the state's attorney general with appointing a special prosecutor in, in, in counties, quote, of the first class to handle crimes committed on public transportation. And by the way, a first class county here in Pennsylvania is defined as a county with a population of one and a half million people or more, and there is only one such county in the state. Wait for it, Philadelphia County. So the bike lane bill was amended again earlier this week to put a panel of judges rather than the attorney general in charge of selecting the special prosecutor. Uh, in case the intention of the amendment wasn't explicit enough, the special prosecutor, according to what's proposed, cannot be anyone who worked in the district attorney's office during the time that Krasner was DA, was district attorney, and cannot initiate any new proceedings after December 31st, 2025, a week before Krasner's term ends. That version passed the state Senate on a party line vote. Let me pause right there to digest that just a little bit. Number one, notice that they said it was a quiet amendment. No, no publicity, no fanfare, probably decided behind closed doors, no press uh, alerted to it. The second, it is, you know, highly targeted at this um, district attorney Krasner uh, and, you know, intended to isolate him from any uh, action that would be involved with this law. So if that signed into law, the amended bike bill would result in a deeply undemocratic scenario in which lawmakers uh, who do not represent Philadelphia voters have stripped a popular elected official of his ability to oversee certain cases. Instead, these cases would be handled by an appointed prosecutor whom voters didn't elect. So, strategy. The strategy is to isolate the person you are trying to eliminate from control over the thing that you don't want to have happen. And the tactic is to strip that person of their responsibilities across everything and assign an appointed panel of judges appointed by, again, wait for it, Republicans. So the strategy is, you know, separate, isolate. The tactic is, you know, uh, define and replace people with people loyal to the cause. So how might this play out? Well, there's another uh, example of how this might play out. Uh, and it, it's abortion is currently legal in Pennsylvania up to 24 weeks of pregnancy. 
but far-right gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano has previously said a woman who women who get abortions should be charged with murder. If Republicans maintain control of the State House and Senate and have Mastriano as governor, it is conceivable that Pennsylvania could pass far more restrictive abortion laws. And even if Krasner declined to prosecute abortion-related crimes in Philadelphia, that decision may be out of his control. If, for example, a woman took public transportation to an abortion clinic, her case could fall within the jurisdiction of the special prosecutor created under the amended bike lane bill. So, do, do you see the, and I hate to use the word sinister, but sinister nature of how these laws and these people are being put in place to enforce the laws and people who might have uh, jurisdiction to exercise some control are isolated from having any impact on these things. As I said, it happened in Georgia, it happened in Texas, it's happened in other states where progressive or democratic-leaning uh, um, state officials are basically walled off from things that Republicans want to change. So, you know, the bike lane bill was one of several pieces of legislation Republican lawmakers have used to try to take away Krasner's prosecution, prosecutorial discretion. Um, talk, the article talks about um, another bill pushed by GOP would give the state attorney general the ability to prosecute certain gun cases in Philadelphia a County. And, you know, and this has led to uh, the filing by state rep Martina White uh, of articles of impeachment against Krasner earlier this week. Um, and that managed to pass a similar version of this bill by quietly, there's that word again, slipping the language into the bill in the final days of the legislative session. So, you know, and, and you know, as she said, they had no idea, the vast majority of her colleagues had no idea this was included. So, you know, and, and you know, it was only by the effort of uh, Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro declined to use that law to undercut Krasner, and it expired in 2021 near the conclusion of Krasner's first term. So Shapiro, who's now running for governor against Mastriano, if Shapiro wins that race, there will be a special election for state attorney general and Republicans will have a shot at replacing Shapiro with a prosecutor who would be happy to strip Krasner of prosecutorial discretion. Um, Republicans also filed an amendment to a previously uncontroversial bill that would require law enforcement to make an effort to contact family members before publicly identifying a murder victim. The amendment, which was never voted on, would have allowed a panel of judges to appoint a special prosecutor to Philadelphia County to handle a broad range of crimes, including car theft, illegal gun possession or sales, and any other criminal matter if the special prosecutor determined that Krasner has opted not to enforce all or part of a law. So, you know, in, in the article goes on, and again, this is in Huffington Post, and it was posted on the 28th. So, do you see how this works? Do you see the, the circles within the circles and the wheels within the wheels? Um, this is what legislating has become uh, in our country, where if you can't uh, gain a desired outcome through straightforward means, then you go around on this circuitous route and, you know, attach and remove and eliminate and constrain and do all of these things to get the end result you initially wanted, um, even though the, the electorate, the people, you and me, uh, have nothing to say about it. And usually, as is the case here, in what I've mentioned in this article coming out of uh, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, uh, the key word in there is quietly. That is, these changes are you know, inserted into bills at the last minute 
and it is done without any oversight from the media, which is the primary function of the media to provide an oversight into the actions of our government. Uh, and, you know, it, it's something, uh, and, and let's be clear, this is not just limited to Pennsylvania and, you know, a, a simple uh, bill to create a safe riding lane for bicycles. This happens all the time at the federal level as well, where, you know, it's, you know fed, uh, uh, U.S. senators or House of Representative members will insert uh, amendments or changes in a bill in the last moments before it is voted on by committee, knowing full well that the members do not have time to re read and digest and understand what the amendment or what the change or what the attachment is going to do. And, you know, to their own shame, they just, you know, voted out of committee um, and say, yeah, I read it, wink, wink. Um, but, you know, this is part of and a big part of what our, our political problem is here in this country and has been, you know, for a long time. You know, this this is not a new practice. This goes back, you know, even be, before the, the so-called Southern strategy was put in place by Republicans. Uh, there's always been a mechanism to get wanted changes into a bill uh, under the radar. So it, it is something that, you know, we need to, and I say we, I mean we the people, uh, we need to, you know, have conversations with our elected officials we need to, as many have, have called for, have more uh, so-called clean bills that are, that are put forward for vote. And clean means that there are no uh, you know, hidden attachments. There are no quiet, and I'm using air quotes, amendments added at the last minute uh, that just states the, the legislative purpose of the bill in, in clear language. And that's it, point blank and simple. Um, we need to have more of those and less of these, you know, backroom, behind closed door deals that are struck to get these components added to our laws. Uh, and then once they are voted on and, and signed, if it is not uh, caught by the executive branch, i.e. the president, and vetoed, um, then we, we end up with these types of things that happen where we have a district attorney who has, you know, a, a, a great majority of his powers of oversight uh, basically taken away from him with no recourse by the people. Uh, we have, you know, as as we saw in Georgia and we saw in Texas, uh, people with the authority to control and manage the the voting process and the electoral process in the states um, have that power taken away from them and assigned to a political appointee instead of an elected appointee. And there's a big difference. Uh, one day we're going to have to do a show between uh, or to, to, to talk about the difference between a political employee, a, um, a political appointee rather, and an elected appointee. Um, we will put that on a note and we will come at that uh, in a show probably after the midterms uh, when the dust settles and we have a better understanding of what 2023 is going to look like. So coming back to what we were talking about here, this case or, or this situation in Pennsylvania uh, is illustrative of a, a bigger problem at a national level uh, it is not something that is just restricted to Pennsylvania. If you read you know, news reports or if you read uh, congressional reports that come out of many states in this country, both red and blue, uh, let me be clear. Uh, this is not a Republican-only practice in, in terms of you know, putting these uh, amendments or these addendums uh, into bills. In fact, there's a name for it. It's called a poison pill. Uh, it is the practice of putting something into a piece of legislation that you know the other party is going to vehemently uh, object to, forcing them, who may have been the party 
that submitted the legislation in the first place to uh, to withdraw support from the bill, basically withdraw the bill because they can't have this poison pill uh, pass as included with the bill. And again, we see this, uh, if you pay attention for it, you will see that this happens um, quite a few times at the federal level, particularly with uh, budget bills. And I'll give you a little tip. If you see a bill uh, or, or piece of legislation coming uh, out of Washington, coming out of the House and Senate in Washington, and it has the word omnibus in it, uh, that is a bill or legislation that you should uh, take the time to uh, read through uh, or read the summary of uh, and pay close attention for addendums or appended, appended items to the bill. Uh, those, those bills, which usually are tied to some level of funding uh, for the government, are a favorite parking place for these uh, shadow legislative uh, goodies that uh, lawmakers want to add into bills. Um, so, you know, a- as we, we wind down to the, the final couple of minutes here on the, on the program, uh, I want to you know, take a moment to say one simple thing multiple times. Vote, 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 and vote. Uh, Your vote is critical at this time. Uh, I've just given you a couple of examples of the kinds of things that you will see in a Republican or or MAGA-influenced Republican-dominated, you know, uh, U.S. House and Senate, uh, but the same is held true at the state levels as well. Uh, our political system works best when there is a vibrant and lively and continual uh, dialogue between the parties, between the two political parties. Uh, and that, that, that's point number one. Uh, when one party has you know, an outsized amount of control or has, you know, near total control as we have in some of the states where, uh, you know, one party controls both the House and the Senate and the governorship. One of the first things to fly out the window is accountability. Uh, If they, whoever the party is, and and it doesn't matter red or blue, um, whoever the party is, if they believe that you know they can do whatever they want with impunity and no one uh, no voter is looking over their shoulder with any kind of ability to to hold them accountable then we get you know what we have seen uh, we get things like the uh, the Senate saying to uh, one president that no we are not going to consider your Supreme Court nominee, because we're we're within a year of you know the the national elections or the general you know the general election, and then uh, that same Senate tell another president that yes we're going to appoint your judge just a few weeks before the um, the the general election for uh, president, um, and you know no one holds them to account for that hypocrisy. So if anything, and and one of the things that we talk about on this show continually is you have to get engaged. You have to get informed. You have to get educated. You have to dig deeper and dig wider. Uh, You need to practice getting your news and information from multiple sources whether you're conservative or liberal or somewhere in the middle, you need to listen to all sides of the issue because, as I always say, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And if, if you are only getting one side, then you are only getting a portion of what could be the truth. So, you know, get engaged, get involved, and always circling back to what I started with, if you um, are not registered to vote, you need to go online or go in person to your, your 
local, uh, county, state uh, electors board and get yourself registered for the midterms. You've got nine days, people. Uh, we will be you know, keeping close tabs on the early vote as the numbers come out. Uh, we likely will not have, well, our show is, you know, is pushed out on Mondays and election day is Tuesday. So we won't know uh, who wins at any level. Uh, we won't even have exit polling. But you know, the, the following show, we will do a dive into what transpires on you know, the midterm elections on November 8th. In the meantime, please get registered and go vote. Go vote like your very life depends on it, because in many cases, it does. All right. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Fired Up Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I always appreciate it. If you have comments or questions, please send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. I love to, to get your comments and thoughts, uh, and it helps shape what I bring to you. So that's going to do it for this week. Uh, stay safe. Uh, happy Halloween. And I look forward to us having another conversation again in seven days. And we're going to talk about more midterms on Midterm Eve. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.